Welcome everyone to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast that explains how your local team stacks up against the rest of the NBA. Hey Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads podcast network for even more great basketball content. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks show hosted by me, Devin Zanskis, and brought to you by Hoopheads. Uh, today I'm coming at you solo, but the Milwaukee Bucks are no longer the reigning NBA champions. The Larry O'Brien Trophy now resides in Golden State for the fourth time in eight years. As Stephen Curry finally won his first finals MVP, averaging 31.2 points, six rebounds, and five assists. In this final series, Andrew Wiggins was the second best guy on the Warriors uh, for, you know, I would say the majority of the finals, maybe a give or take a game here or there. I didn't watch it super closely, but definitely the last half of the finals, let's say, I definitely tuned into every game, but I'll relieve myself of the obligation there since since uh, the Bucks unfortunately were not involved uh, in June basketball this season but hopefully they'll be back with a healthy Chris Middleton but yeah good thing about championships is, well when your team isn't well I don't I remember last year just thinking how lucky we were that I just thought that if the Bucks had won or had not won last year's finals, I thought it might break me having gone, get so close, and not quite make it. Because there was a lot of a lot of negativity around the Bucks for a lot of years, not being able to not being able to pull it out after being mediocre for so long. And we've had our trials and tribulations in the postseason besides last year. So until we finally won it, I know there were a lot of people thinking that it was inevitable that our luck would run out. And yeah, I I guess everyone except Boston now, you know, can take away a a little bit of positivity from this one. Steph Curry's one of the most likable superstars ever. Andrew Wiggins was someone who had sky-high potential coming out of school. He's the first pick ahead of Jabari Parker in 2014. and. He didn't quite live up to the enormous hype that he had, but still to be the second best guy on a title team, uh, you can't really ask for for anything more. <laughs> yeah, just having stellar defense on Tatum alone was uh, yeah, well worth the trade to the Golden State Warriors in the end. Yeah, I remember it was uh, two seasons ago. Well, yeah, this is... Wiggins' second season with the Warriors. So, two seasons ago, they traded D'Angelo Russell for him and the pick that would come, become Jonathan Kaminga. So, they appear to have even more of an embarrassment of riches in Golden State. And they're the prime example of uh, yeah, what you can be when your ownership doesn't doesn't cheap out in certain cases, like 
you know, a Malcolm Brogdon or a PJ Tucker. And hopefully it ends there. But you didn't think you'd get a Malcolm Brogdon reference here. But we did win a title without Malcolm Brogdon. So I probably could have done just fine laying that one to bed. As uh, Brian Winhurst says, winning a championship means you don't have have to apologize for anything. Uh, but I also think it's right to to truthfully uh, do everything in your power to, to run it back. So I will not leave the P.J. Tucker uh, departure uh, alone. I, I might I might bring that one up. Uh, yet again, but yeah, I'm repeating myself from before, but I had, I had wanted the Warriors to win, which is kind of crazy for, um, someone we've seen win four of the past eight years. Uh, I remember when I was when I was a young kid and uh, and a casual NBA fan, I really didn't like the Spurs, uh, even though they're a small market team and homegrown and uh, pretty much everyone a casual fan should like. I just didn't like the fact that while I didn't know much about basketball, I knew that they they always won, and I wanted to see uh, I wanted to see parity. But my take before the series was if the Celtics won, then we would have to go through a whole a whole year of people uh, having even more doubt that the Bucks can win another title with uh, the Celtics in their way. And yeah, the Celtics are still in our way. <laughs> we still have to get, get through them. Uh, yeah, we know. Uh, we can def- I can definitely picture Marcus Smart uh, saying in an interview that that the East still runs through Boston, and he has every right to say so. I uh, I always enjoyed that. I remember that being a Tristan Thompson quote uh, after LeBron left once. Uh, but yeah, I did think the Celtics were gonna win, though. Uh, I surely wasn't confident in that pick. I won't claim to be an expert on, surely not on anyone outside of the Bucks, but yeah, we watched size prevail all last year in the Bucks title run, and the the Warriors had a had a good mix of uh, did I say Warriors? The Celtics I thought had a great mix of size and skill uh but yeah the warriors prevailed with their with their veteran savvy let's say um it's great to see clay thompson of course return to form again um They've alluded to some, I don't know, just some really, really depressing happenings when he was when he was rehabbing, and it's easy to see given 
that Clay is surefire Hall of Famer and he just wasn't able to participate in basketball at all for two years. And uh, and he had to sit for what should have been, um, you know, a good part of his prime too. So I could see see a guy feeling pretty down during that. And just like Steph Curry, he's a top tier personality in the league. So good to root for him. And how dang corky he is! He said, "Holy cannoli!" Holy cannoli! while on stage being interviewed immediately after the NBA championship. And then uh, the footage of him, too, after the, after the, well, during the parade, I should say. Um, yeah, I couldn't get enough of that. It, seem, it seems like the clay clips from the parade are, um, are never-ending. First, him losing the, him, him boating to the parade, which, uh, you know, I know I'm probably not the only one just sitting back envying a guy who can, um, you know, not only go to work every day on on the best NBA team, but he's able to take a boat to practice or to the game or to the parade. But he lost his hat in in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, then there's the clip of him. Looked like he might have gotten tripped from behind, but from security, but from the angle hard to see, he also was presumably hammered, so could have been on his own feet. And he tripped and did the thing where you're like, where you're tripping, but like falling for a while and hoping you can catch yourself, but you just can't. So Clay took like three big strides into into um, into a random woman, and she got up pretty quick. I I'll hand it to her I uh I might have had to retire for for the day if, if that was me Jeez, the guy's like six seven I can't even yeah even in retrospect that's kind of crazy that that woman just ate that hit um yeah I know this is controversial but I actually, I actually like Draymond Green. I tend to, I tend to actually root for guys who are kind of, kind of bastards in a way. But you can tell that it's only, you know, it's only in the utmost pursuit of winning. Um, I've sort of, I sort of talked about how uh, this probably wasn't on the on the show, so might sound bad but I think I was telling my roommate that I actually don't mind Marcus Smart and I would love to have him on my team um find it I find it silly because people always recognize that like well yeah I'd love to have them on my team but they're not on my team it's like well if you're saying that like if you'd love to have them on your team what else do you need to say that you like the player it's not like you know they're 30 teams in the league we only play we only play somebody so many times so uh but yeah i think marcus smart might might also be one of the biggest grifters in the league so i don't need to cut him too much slack uh i think for a defensive player of the year he ends up on the ground far too much and yeah i think 
to a certain degree, if you end up on the ground so much while trying to play defense, I think it, it can lead to dangerous moments, of course, if guys land on you or if, or if you trip guys. After all, you're playing around seven-footers out there. <laughs> so damage could be done. Anywho, we haven't had enormous battles with the Warriors. Obviously, Draymond, he's, he's really loud, talks a lot of junk. He's one of the best defenders of our of our generation. He's plays way bigger than his size, and he's already a big dude. So, happy to see him win another, I must say. I even, I... Got a, I got a Draymond Green jersey after I visited my buddy in a NSF. Uh, Cause that's just what I do when I go places. Uh, come to think of it, I need to get a I need to get a New York jersey now, but there's no no one I find too appealing there. Fortunately, that means I'm probably gonna have to get a Kevin Durant jersey or RJ Barrett. Let's get an R.J. Barrett jersey. Anyways, I got a Draymond Green jersey because I just think, well, I had gotten it after I had started my rec league, and I thought, you know what, if there's someone I want to play like, I want to play like Draymond Green when I'm out there. So that's why I'd like to see I like to see him win in addition to all these guys and. And the, and the culture that they've created there. But I definitely can't forget about a couple of Milwaukee boys, Jordan Poole from, from uh, Rufus King. He was on the short list of most improved guys this year, and uh, he didn't disappoint in his first playoffs either, averaging 17 points per game throughout all four series. Uh Yeah, he's just insanely fun to watch. And then Kevon Looney, now a three-time NBA champion. It's wonderful to see him get all the all the respect that he's earned. Uh, yeah, I never thought I never thought he would be a sexy enough name for me to for me to receive uh you know Bleacher Report notifications about uh, team team X X and Y uh, having interest in Looney, but. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I mean, he's proven that he's he's an incredible guy to have on a championship roster. Not flashy, but he does all the little things. Well, you know, post more rebounds than points. Solid defender. Sets screens. <laughs> But particularly for these Warriors, he was incredibly important. Uh, a team we've talked about not having a ton of size. But, you know, obviously you have to have some size, and that size becomes even more important when you're a smaller team. So, uh, Looney definitely had his work cut out for him against the Celtic team, but. 
Yeah, he held down the fort enough to bring home his his third ring. So more power to him. And then an unlikely shout out, perhaps, but Gary Payton, Gary Payton the second. He actually um, not from Milwaukee, obviously, uh, but he started his NBA career with the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's just uh, well. This isn't the archetype, but he's kind of similar. To, to Draymond and and uh and how unique he is. He's one of the the best defensive guards in the league. Um, a lot of that comes from comes from his athleticism, being only 190 according to uh, uh, according to Basketball Reference, but. Steph Curry said that Gary Payton II was was the tallest 6'3 guy that he's ever played with, and um, he plays that sort of Bruce Brown, um, small guy, short roll, uh, roll on the team. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, defends at an incredible level. I remember seeing him dunk in one of these last games where where he jumps so high, you for a split second you thought he was at his apex, but he had he still had more to go, and it was just really crazy to see with your own eyes. Uh, but yeah, the guy had he had uh, fifteen points in game five, I believe. Yeah, game five, uh, fifteen points on six of eight shooting. Plus three steals. Uh, and, yeah, he played uh, over 25 minutes in two of these final games. Uh, yeah, 18.5 minutes per game, which, you know, is a lot more significant than it sounds when you're in the final games of of the postseason, when your rotations... Uh, Shrunken even more. Uh, but yeah, I feel like these Warriors deserve, you know, a lot more, <laughs> a lot more talk on any show, but this is still the Milwaukee Bucks show. I... Uh, yeah, I feel like it might be it might be a waste to get into everything that I could uh, about the Boston Celtics, but you know we've we've spoken about them here and there. Well, there'll be a talking point moving forward, and uh, yeah, in the end they didn't. They didn't come out with the ring, so I don't feel a strong inclination to speak about them when I don't have to. So I'm going to get back into my uh, my draft evaluations here. I have two for today, as the draft is only two days away as we're recording here on June 21st. 
Uh, yeah, so I did plan it out perfectly with having uh, one for each episode um, from when I had compiled this list. But congrats, you get two, two in one episode, and we'll yeah we'll talk about much more. Uh, so the first guy I want to talk about is EJ Liddell. He's uh, six seven. Uh, with a 6'11 wingspan, 240 pounds, a junior out of Ohio State. He averaged 19.4 points, 7.9 rebounds, 2.5 assists, and 2.6 blocks per game. And he also shot 37.4% from three. Uh, some strengths of EJ Liddell's. Uh, well, as a junior... He is probably one of the most um, NBA-ready players right now and is also one of the best defenders in the draft. Uh, yeah, he's a chase-down artist. He has a top-tier motor, um, overall high-level rim protector. He keeps his, keeps his arms out and his chest out. Uh, he doesn't get into as much foul trouble uh as you'd think, so his uh, availability won't won't be an issue in that regard, at least. He's a terrific help defender, uh, does well on closeouts, and can easily switch uh, with his size, might even defend up to the five. Um, he's He does well defending... On an island, moves well laterally, um, good at anticipating um, where guys are going to be on drives. Um, so he gets blown by, you know, less than, you know, less than other guys his size, perhaps. Uh, it's difficult to drive through him with. With uh, how strong of a strong of a chest he has, guys just bounce off him. Um, on offense, he does a good job keeping his eyes up uh, when anticipating a double team, and can throw some some impressive passes. Either uh, you know, either skip passes or or cross court passes from the post uh, or from the high post. Uh, he doesn't die on screens, which is, again, all the more impressive get, given his size. He uh, gets gets uh, over screens probably with a frequency closer to that of a wing. Um, can back down a defender. Um, and yeah, could be a dual threat in the pick and roll with... Uh, with his uh, spot-up ability as well. However, some negatives. He he has this incredibly weird, um, like, push shot. It's almost, it's almost more of a throw shot, honestly. Since he is... He plays bigger than he is, but he is only 6'7", oftentimes playing, um, playing up a position. Um... Uh, Compared to what his what his height would suggest, so instead of like the push shot like Giannis has, it's almost like a throw shot. Uh, 
and uh, yeah, that's going to be more difficult against uh, NBA size. Uh, he's not a great ISO scorer. He sometimes even struggles blowing by uh, bigs one-on-one. Um, yeah, and uh, could also improve his ball control. He doesn't have a very tight handle, so... Uh, yeah, teams are kind of are kind of more likely to to try to trap or double him and force a turnover. Uh, he can also be uh, be a bit of a bull in the china shop when driving into the lane. Can um, yeah, it's good to seek out contact, but perhaps sometimes he does it. Uh, to the extreme, uh, yeah. Instead of just trying to finish at the rim, and but when he does try and finish at the rim, sometimes sometimes he tries to finish, tries to finish too low, and then ends up getting a shot block. Uh, so that explains why he's a sub fifty percent shooter from from the field, even though, uh, even though he was playing in the post often. He's also not the most fluid jump shooter. 37.4% is is uh, pretty decent. And he's solid on catch and shoot looks, but he has a really late release, almost shoots it on the way down. And uh, as of now, people have been skeptical about the possibility of him becoming a pull-up shooter one day, but again, you're not drafting him to do that because uh, he's, yeah, he probably projects to be the closest to like a PJ Tucker <laughs> in in this draft. I don't want to throw out uh, throw out too many comparisons and PJs, uh, you know bit of an enigma but yeah compared compared to the rest of this draft alone EJ Liddell um, you know no one no one quite has has the skill set that he has I would say nor the production at nearly 20 points per game in college um but yeah, of the five guys I've evaluated, I haven't even talked about the fifth guy yet. EJ might be my favorite one. Uh, that's not saying like a ton, giving a range either, uh, I'll admit. But um, the two guys that I would be comfortable with the Bucks drafting of the five that I've talked about is EJ Liddell and Marjan Beauchamp, who I talked about last time. Um, and EJ is probably my favorite just because he's ready to play right now. Um, Beauchamp is uh, potentially more of a project, higher ceiling, but yeah, that's, that's the trade off. So, um, 
Yeah, EJ just fits better with with the Bucks right now, even if Marjan is the better prospect. Uh, but also, yeah, I could probably be pretty easily convinced. Uh, you know, into liking a trade of the Bucks moving on from this from this pick because generally rookies aren't good well yeah rookies not even being in the league yet are going to take more time from today to be ready to play in the postseason (laughs) so um yeah I it would have to be a pretty bad trade for me to like not be happy with it (laughs) but if we are keeping it ej is the mold of someone that i would like to select uh and i just compared him to pj tucker so that's easy to see why now the last guy that i'm going to evaluate and i'm doing it in this order because (laughs) Because I took uh, the average of these four mock drafts between the Ringer, Sports Illustrated, NBADraft.net, and Tankathon. And I did a weighted average, and I got these five guys. And uh, this next guy I'm going to talk about was had the 24th uh, rank in the in the mock draft of the average of their selections among the four websites. And then I chose to evaluate uh, two guys ahead of number 24 and two guys behind number 24 to try and try and capture our most likely targets. But yeah, they're, Yeah, clearly their yeah their their position their positions range a ton. So, for example, I wouldn't be too excited about a Walker Kessler because he's uh, closer to an old school center, and that's just not a guy that I would want as like as our only as the only draft pick um, that we still have on our roster that we've drafted besides Giannis Uh, if that's the case I would pretty much rather trade the pick for a swing on on most other NBA wings that I have any faith in (laughs) that have been proven at all. Either way. (laughs) Number 25 on my ranking of, well, the number 25 average ranking of those four mock drafts is Jaden Hardy. Um, 
of the G League Ignite. He's 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan. Seen that listed twice. <laughs> I was looking out for that because, yeah, plus five is uh, pretty significant. Uh, he's 100, 198 pounds, uh, but scored 19.5 points, uh, 4.3 assists, or excuse me, scored 19.5 points, grabbed 4.3 rebounds, and then he had 3.6 assists and 1.2 steals. However, he only shot 37.9% uh, from the field. So, really inefficient, but I kind of like the idea of giving giving guys a bit more of the benefit of the doubt if they're bold enough to face up against, um, yeah, like real grown-ass men in the G League as opposed to other college students. Uh, so, yeah, really tough environment, but... Yeah, hats off to them for challenging themselves. Uh, yeah, so Jaden Hardy, he's a kind of microwave scorer. If you didn't, if you didn't gather that just from his basic stats, he's <coughs> he's a real fluid and natural shooter. He's got a pretty jump shot. He could be really great as a movement shooter. Uh, yeah, despite his low percentages, I believe he shot, um, this is a conservative guess, uh, at least above 35% on, uh, on, uh, threes off screens or movement threes, whatever, whatever term is most proper. I don't think the latter is, but yeah. On this topic, I think that's pretty dang good. Uh, and not just like a basic catch and shoot environment. Uh, he also uses a lot of hesitations and hang dribbles to throw off, throw off the defender, get them off balance. Um, to help create space, he also um, he also steps back to the left often. Uh, so even though he's not like a top tier athlete, he's able to use use his craft to get open looks, uh, as well as his great change of speed. Uh, he may not well. He has room to improve in terms of finishing at the basket. That'll be a weak point that we get to, but uh, right now he's uh, he's at least a clear two-level shooter because he shot 10, 10% better from mid-range um, compared to last year's Ignite Stars uh, in... Uh, and Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, and he also took uh, twice the attempts of those guys. So he's definitely a bucket 
Uh, he loves to run a pick and roll, even though some people, uh, I think there's a debate as to whether or not he can be be the lead playmaker. A lot of people like him as a secondary playmaker. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that that would be a huge I think that's that would really limit his ceiling if he can only be a secondary playmaker. Since he has some questions on defense as well. Um, but there are areas where he's where he's he's able to hang. Um, but also in the pick and roll, he's uh able to make plays for guys and be a creative passer, so I can see see why there is at least a debate for him being a lead. Um, and uh, and yeah, I guess getting to the rim, I already kind of said that is like not necessarily uh, his greatest strength at the moment, but it's also not like totally far gone. I will say, uh, <laughs> I mean, 6'4 is not, is not short by any means, even for the NBA, it's decent size. Um, and he has like solid strength for his frame as well. He's, he's just not not quite an explosive athlete is what's holding him back. I also saw that he, that he did miss, miss a lot of bunnies when he would get to the rack. A lot of times, um, you know, some of the easy, some of the easier shots that he did miss were a lot of times him trying to finish with his left hand. So perhaps that's an area where he needs to, he needs to polish Polish it up a little bit. Add a bit of polish. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, clearly by his percentages, he can improve his shot selection a bit. Um, he has a bit of a score first mentality, which is also something that's uh, holding him back in the conversation as to whether or not he can be, be a... Uh, be a lead playmaker and uh, what doesn't help him on defense is that he gets caught ball watching a lot and he doesn't navigate screens exceptionally well I wrote down in my notes that a, a bit more of a give a damn on closeouts would be would be more than welcome for him because sometimes he did look to sort of just give up on the play if he did die on a screen or get back cut. Uh, but yeah, I will say at least to, to Jaden Hardy's credit, he was one of the more fun guys that I got to that I got to watch on tape. So yeah, and. Despite the poor efficiency, he did score. 
19.5 points per game against grown men. So no one can take that away from him. Uh, but yeah, could be a wide range of outcomes for Jaden Hardy. I must say. But I could at least easily see him as a backup guard for a really long time. I think it could take a huge explosion from him compared to what we expect now um, or a perfect team fit for him to to achieve incredible success compared to the rest of the NBA. But, yeah, just because he might not be an all-star uh, that by no means, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you had, you were a failure in your career at all. So I'm interested to see <laughs> what happens there. But yeah, if you can't tell, not necessarily the prototype of someone that I want the Bucks to draft. Uh, right now, I doubt he would be able to be able to defend um, in the first round or even at all in a playoff series at least for a winning team so yeah but that can sort of transition into a couple other notes that I had here because I didn't get to all like what like 40 guys is this of guys who were in uh, at least one of these four mock drafts that I took the average of and ranked them. Uh, I could only do five with the amount of time and the amount of detail I wanted to put in to at least some of these guys. Uh, but those who didn't fit in my range that I still find quite intriguing quite intriguing for the Bucks is uh, Jalen Williams. Uh, he, well, say them together, Jalen Williams and Daylon Terry, those are two of the biggest risers in this year's draft, and it makes a lot of sense because they're, you know, they're wings who can, well, yeah. They're both wings with size. Jalen Williams is almost has almost point guard skill, I would say. Uh, and then Dalen Terry, um, known particularly for his for his versatile defense, but uh, if I if I remember correctly, he also has some passing chops that he can. That he can hang on to on the other end of the floor. Uh, but yeah, biggest risers. So when that comes into, into play, that means that there could be wide range of outcomes for those guys. Jake LaRavia is another guy that I, I mean, to be clear, he... Now he's he's a clear 
probably has more like power forward size and shooting ability, which is definitely fits the type of guy that I would want if we had to face up against the Celtics um, in next year's postseason, if I had to add a rookie to that mix. Um, Jake would be that guy, or at least one of, like, on the short list of guys um, that could reasonably be within our range. But he's not super, it's his athleticism is what's holding him back mostly right now, but I think he makes up makes up for that a bit with his basketball IQ on both ends. So, uh, he, and especially the guy I'm going to bring up, bring up next, uh, could be seen as a bit of a reach at 24, but yeah, if it's the right fit, 24 isn't always the most valuable pick anyhow. Yeah, that's probably something I would I would tell myself if we ended up selecting them. But I'd have a bit of pause. And Christian Cloco is the last guy I brought on here. I've I don't even know if I've like seen a full video, um, you know, regarding his prospects. But someone brought him up in the same breath of the Bucks because he's he's a uh, he's he's a he's a real center who has the potential to. I heard at least he has the potential to shoot um, and defend. And, yeah, that is one of the rarest abilities of all in the NBA. And particularly vital um, next to next to Giannis, who's where, for all, the, for all the things he does at, better than anybody else in the world and maybe better than some people ever. Um, Shooting is still a distinct uh, weakness for him. Compared to everything else, of course. But yeah, that's even taking into account the massive strides that he's taken on his jump shot. And uh, yeah, if we want to if we want to reach the heights that we've got that we got to last year we're going to have to we're going to have to find the right fit around that guy and it's hard to find so these last two guys that guys I mentioned Jake Laravio, Christian Coloco particularly Christian Coloco um if we ended up doing <laughs> well just sort of the pick swap like we did last year and getting PJ Tucker in return not that I expect that this time uh, by that I mean trading trading a pick in the twenties for a for a much cheaper pick in the early thirties, and we really had had our had our uh, eyes on those last two guys I mentioned. Uh, I wouldn't hate that. All right. <laughs> Now, there's some other news I can get to. A lot of it is just tangentially related to the Bucks, so I can sort of highlight this topic that 
I've been spitballing for a while. I hadn't, um, I don't know how polished it is if I'm being honest, but immediately after the Bucks being eliminated and listening to other Bucks podcasts like Locked On Bucks that I do, um, they had, um, yeah, there were a ton of creative um, topics to take up, like a one of the shorter, like, 20-minute episodes that they have at times, and one of them was, well, basically, it was often rehashed how the Bucks really have done a subpar job in the draft since Giannis Antetokounmpo, and... Um, you know, this can be sort of, sort of a toxic exercise at time, but when we do have trades, like some of the ones involving our picks in the past, um, that end up really coming back to bite you and might, might even bite, might even cost you playoff series. Um, you know, depending on the names that we're going to throw out here and, how they ended up after they were drafted. Uh, yeah, it can be really interesting. Unfortunately, it can be clickbait, but... Because, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I think back to people always bring up the Nets and Celtics trade that... well. Of course, now those Nets picks from the 2010s turned into the sole reason why the Celtics have officially advanced further since the trade than the Nets have. Uh, I don't know. In the end, hindsight's 2020, and at the time that team's priorities were just completely different, the Nets were... Were new to Brooklyn. Maybe they had a new owner who was just willing to spend a ton of money and wanted to win immediately. And more, more power to them. We don't want, we don't support cheap owners. Um, and yeah, of course. Uh, I don't know. It's sort of coming back, back the other way. We're now with the. Uh, Drew Holiday, AD, Paul George trades, like trading unprotected picks aren't necessarily unheard of, although after this this Celtics-Nets trade, um, you you saw far less unprotected picks moved. Uh, Still. Maybe the Bucks are just the best example of this, whereas if we were afraid to... To trade draft picks uh, and getting getting Drew Holiday, we wouldn't have won an NBA championship, and maybe Giannis would have would have would have seen that as a cowardly move, and he maybe he would have moved on. So, all that to say, this might be a bit flawed, but. I thought it would it would be at least slightly fun and interesting to see how 
Bucks draft picks have gone since Giannis. <coughs> so. Yeah, and I'm mainly listing guys that, well, at least I knew. Like, for example, if they're, or, or like guys who at least also played slightly with the Bucks. Like, they're, if, um, well, I guess I did put their name in here, but if there was a second round pick from 2014 that, never played a day for the Bucks, and it was maybe already agreed upon uh, before the draft that we would send a second-round pick somewhere. I didn't quite feel like tracking where that player ended up. They also probably weren't, weren't a big enough name for me to put down. But after drafting Giannis in 2013 with the 15th overall pick, we drafted Jabari number two, which was, yeah, uh, Pretty much a consensus pick at the time. You know, it'd be interesting to see how Thursday's top three goes, but yeah. Maybe that 2014 draft isn't isn't uh isn't much different from from the 2014 draft. What am I saying? Maybe the 2014 draft isn't much different from this upcoming 2020 draft. 2022 draft um you know with the top three that we have and i don't know then again wiggins might have been more of a consensus number one overall pick than than what we have tomorrow because it sounds like it's most likely to be jabari smith but i don't even know if that's what i would do if i were the magic to tease the next draft show, but Jabari clearly didn't work out um, how we had wanted him to, um, and I think we we ultimately ended up sort of just letting him letting him walk in free agency because he ended up getting getting a huge deal from the Bulls. Uh, is a is a really large annual salary, but a short term deal with them. Uh, so there's no track record there. But uh, after that, the next Bucks first round pick was Rashad Vaughn, who <coughs> was later uh, moved in a deal uh, for Tyler Zeller. And I don't know if there were any cat and I don't know if there was any cash or any future seconds thrown in there, but. Again, that uh, those future seconds didn't necessarily turn into anything. So that just goes to show how the Rashad Vaughn pick didn't necessarily pan out. Um, but you know, as much as Bucks fans might laugh more about the Rashad Vaughn Vaughn pick, because he was a guy who looked to have looked like he had a lot of potential as a as a shooter with real wing size. Um, <coughs> I would say 
worst move on paper was trading was trading for Gravis Vasquez from the uh, Toronto Raptors in exchange for a 2017 first-round pick that would turn into OG Ananobi. And I think it was a second-round pick that turned into Norman Powell. And those are guys where you ask yourself, well, ironically, would 2019, the 2019 playoffs maybe been uh, a little different if we had if we had those guys available. I think OG Ananobi was technically hurt for pretty much all of the postseason when the when the Raptors won the title, but yeah. OG Ananobi, what if we had him against the Miami Heat in the bubble playoffs? Yeah. I mean, Norman, Norman Powell might be more on the cusp of the level of player that I'm talking about, but OG Ananobi is one of the best one of the best defenders in the league, and he's he's expanded his offensive game as well. Uh, I think he could kind of be just on the other side of that cusp compared to Norman Powell as a guy who could maybe maybe swing a series for the Bucks. Uh, but just remember, butterfly effect. Who knows if the Bucks would ultimately have have won a title like they did last year had all this happened. You know. Maybe we don't I guess it all comes back to maybe don't trade for Drew Holiday if some if some of these things uh don't happen eventually. Maybe we don't cuff up the draft picks to get Drew Holiday. Um <coughs> uh, and then the next picks from the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh in the same year here together, although I'll admit I regret not putting the years next to this, uh, we drafted Thon Maker with with uh, the 10th overall pick uh, late in the teens, or late in the, what am I saying? We drafted Thon Maker with the 10th pick uh, in a draft from the late 2010s. I'm guessing 17 or 18, one of those two. Um, and Thon Maker obviously was part of the deal that um, that led to us getting back uh, Nikola Nikola Mirotic, and Nikola Mirotic had um, an incredibly disappointing postseason with us in the in the sole playoff run that he was with the Bucks. Uh, more importantly, though, and definitely making up for the Thon pick. Though Thon had his moments, uh, hey, maybe one day he'll make it back into, into the league and become an MVP like Kevin, like Kevin Garnett predicted. But Malcolm Brogdon has has definitely produced at at, at least the level of your average tenth overall pick. Um, I can't believe this is the second time I've brought him up on a show in 2022. But, uh, but yeah. Um, Brogdon had a 
had an outstanding run, run with us, but yeah, uh, a lot of people would tell me that as good as he was when he played, he did have a lot of injuries that plagued him and has had set injuries until today. So, um, yeah, as, uh, Still crazy though that um, I don't know. I I feel like I remember the the press at the time around uh, the sign and trade for uh, Malcolm Brogdon was was that uh, that the Pacers GM was sort of old school and that he he almost sort of he almost sort of felt for the GM that he was signing, signing a player away from, and he just gave us, um, you know, a protected 2020 first round pick that would become RJ Hampton and part of the Drew Holiday trade. So another example, butterfly effect. Um, Yeah, that's why, you know, hitting in the draft and having some draft draft luck is uh, is pretty important because, yeah, then guys can can retain the value of a first round pick, and you can move them uh, in combination with other first round picks for guys who are pertinent for winning an NBA title. Uh, and then I can kind of breeze through the rest. I mean, those were kind of the highlights. Well, um, we technically drafted Pat McCaw, uh, but that pick was moved for $2.4 million in cash. DJ Wilson was part of the, uh, PJ Tucker trade, um, Although he wasn't, he was the most significant piece there. He was moved with DJ Augustine, and then of course the Bucks moved, uh, moved back about eight spots in the draft, um, from roughly where they are right now in the twenty-two draft, with the twenty-fourth pick, to one of the first picks in the in last year's draft. Um, yeah, so that, that was a trade that worked out tremendously for us. And that'll be another trade that we try to replicate in the future. And, uh, yeah, which I spoke a ton about in my previous two episodes and going over free agency targets, but I'm sure you could do a similar episode. Uh, similar exercise with guys on expiring contracts and seeing if there are if there are more veteran players on teams looking like they're closer to a rebuild so they're maybe willing to receive uh, less than market less than market value for their veteran uh, of course we moved Dante for surge and a couple second rounders and then Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale, who wouldn't have been in, 
in the rotation for us. But, uh, yeah, speaking of hindsight, that's the ultimate example because uh, if Brooke hadn't come back from his injury as well as he had, which was unpredictable, uh, we could have really used Surge in these playoffs. And I still wonder if there would have been moments for him here and there. But we'll never know. Uh, Dante sure would, would have been awesome to still have. Uh, though we had already extended Grayson, so who knows? Who who knows? Uh, even if we had kept them, what the what the appetite would have been to keep to keep Dante? Uh, and they, then we also technically drafted Kevin Porter Jr., but. We had traded the pick that was the thirtieth pick in in one of the most recent drafts uh, with to, to get off of Tony Snell's contract, uh, so we could acquire John Luer and stretch his lesser contract, which is now coming off the books along with Larry Sanders and others. <coughs> Although although Kevin Porter Jr. has already been, I don't know, he's had some negative headlines with him uh, for one reason or another. I don't want to go into the guy's personal life, but uh, he's uh, extremely talented. And if he can put it all together, um, he'd be a guy that any team would want. So... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully that was um, got a bit of food for thought there. That was worthwhile for you. Uh, yeah, we're already beyond an hour here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, a couple other quick notes. Uh, former... Uh, Bucks assistant Taylor Jenkins uh, agreed to a multi-year contract extension with the Grizzlies after becoming, um, well, he was named the number two. He was second in this year's uh, Coach of the Year uh, rankings, or in voting, rather. So shout out to a previous uh Bud assistant. Uh, to all the members of the Woodlands, uh, Christian Wood was just acquired by the Mavs for um, for four non-rotation guys for the Mavericks and their 26 pick. So a lot of people think that that was kind of a steal for the Mavericks. But this is an example of a move... Um, I don't know if it'll have quite the same championship equity, but um, it's ironic that it's another deal with the Rockets. But um, this is a similar deal that I was talking about with P.J. Tucker, where if you identify guys that can help you um, and they're not necessarily on a competing roster, you might be able to get them uh, for less than you should have to give up. So. 
That could be a fun exercise in the future. Uh, there's more news around uh, part of Mike Budenholzer's coaching tree in that Kenny Atkinson actually decided he wouldn't become the Charlotte Hornets next head coach after agreeing, uh, coming to an agreement with them. And they will uh, restart their head coaching search, one of the more weirder stories of the offseason already. Uh, but, yeah, two of the names that have come up there have been uh, have been Terry Stotts and Mike D'Antoni. Uh, makes sense because Kenny Atkinson technically would have been a second-time head coach, so they won't be... Looks like they're not quite as interested in a first-time head coach, even with their young roster. I guess they had technically just tried that with James Brego, who was uh, another uh, former uh, Spurs coach like Mike Budenholzer. Uh, yeah. I'd say uh, Mike D'Antoni has been the name... Uh, that I've heard the most with the Hornets job. So that's what I would put my money on if I were a betting man. Uh, but I don't have any horses in this race. Um, last two points, certainly not least. Uh, the movie, I believe, on Disney Plus about Giannis and his family and yeah, how they made it from streets in Greece from their extreme poverty to uh, some of the most now they're one of the most famous families in the world um, the movie Rise I believe is just the title that simple it'll be on Disney Plus uh, yeah that will be a, that'll be a, a pretty significant topic I'd imagine uh, going forward and I still have to watch uh, Hustle that Am Sandler movie because it technically features Middleton uh, I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how much Chris is featured, nor do I know uh, what his acting chops will be like. But I had to give you some recap for that, and then what the news that just came out today was that P.J. Tucker, who's come up a lot on this show, actually opted out of his seven point four million dollar player option. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have predicted that he would play. He would play himself into a position where he wouldn't take a player option in his uh, after turning uh, 37 years old. But yeah, that's just been the year for PJ. Uh, and I also heard that there's. A chance that PJ could be paid more to go back to the Heat, but um, he will have a strong market to be sure. So I'll wait and see. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but yeah. I heard someone else, uh, yeah, use the term uh, offseason junkie. And I was relieved because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love 
I love watching basketball just as much as anything. Uh, but yeah, an eight an eighty two game season can uh, can really test you. And yeah, especially given given my addiction to two K and two K simulations. Uh, I feel my nerdiest when I'm when I'm fantasizing about the offseason and how your team can just have a totally different outlook than it did the day before. Um, yeah, and days like the draft where it's and definitely the beginning of free agency where it's well. The outcomes aren't necessarily predictable, but you have some idea of when it's going to happen, so that adds to the adds to the anticipation. But yeah, I will be here every step of the way to give you my takes on the Bucks and the new Bucks that shape this roster. Hopefully, uh, hopefully a lot of familiar faces, but inevitably there will be new ones. But until I can give you my two cents on uh, any new bucks, I'll see you in another life, brother. Thank you for tuning in to Knuck a Few Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We hope you join us again soon. See you in another life, brother.